Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. We'll be talking about uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and what kind of an impact it's had on seniors. Well, uh, it's not good. Dean Clancy is a senior policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity. We'll visit with Dean as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is September the 8th, and on this day in 1974, in a controversial executive action, President Gerald Ford pardoned his predecessor, Richard M. Nixon, for any crimes he may have committed in participating in, in while in office. Ford later defended his action before the House Judiciary Committee, explaining that he wanted to end the national divisions created by the Watergate scandal. The Watergate scandal erupted after it was revealed that Nixon and his aides had engaged in illegal activities uh, during his re-election campaign and then attempted to cover up uh, the evidence in wrongdoing. With impeachment proceedings underway against him in Congress, Nixon bowed to public pressure and became the first American president to resign. At noon on August the 9th, Nixon officially ended his term by departing with his family in a helicopter from White House lawn. Minutes later, Vice President Gerald R. Ford was sworn in as the 38th President of the United States in the East Room of the White House. After taking the oath of office, President Ford spoke to the nation in an address declaring, My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Ford, the first president who became into office through appointment and was not re-elected, had replaced Spiro Agnew as the vice president only eight months before in a political scandal independent of Nixon's administration's wrongdoings. In the Watergate affair, Agnew became forced to resign in disgrace after he was charged with income tax evasion and political corruption. Exactly one month after Nixon announced his resignation, Ford issued the uh, former president a full, free, and absolute pardon for any crimes he committed while in office. The pardon was widely condemned at the time. Decades later, the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation presented its 2001 Profile and Courage Award to Gerald Ford for his 1974 pardon of Nixon. In pardoning Nixon, uh, said the foundation, Ford placed his love of country ahead of his own political future and brought needed closure to a divisive Watergate affair. Ford left politics after losing in 1976 presidential election to Democrat Jimmy Carter. Ford died on December the 26, 2006, at the age of 93. Kind of interesting to reflect on uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, whole view of this. He, he cited the fact that there were actually uh, participants of the government participants from the CIA or FBI that participated. Five of the of the uh, so-called cr- criminals going into Watergate were uh, government employees. The fix was in, as you can probably tell. They didn't want Nixon was the most popular president ever elected to office, 
And just a, a short time after that, he was uh, forced to leave office. Well, the question is why? Why? What's behind that? It's just so interesting to think about that. Uh, and by the way, Ford was uh, not a particularly uh, not a particularly dynamic person, to say the least. Well, Tropical Storm Lee became the fourth hurricane of the year yesterday, strengthening in Category Four storm as it moved across the open Atlantic Ocean near the Northeast Caribbean. Forecasts suggested it could uh, continue to intensify likely reaching Category 5 status today with winds over 160 miles an hour. Whether or where the system will make landfall is still unclear. Lee's uh, current trajectory has it passing north of the Lesser Antilles and Puerto Rico through the region expected to see tropical storm-like conditions through the weekend, and that would be in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> the system is currently tracking towards the southeastern U.S. coast. However, most models predict the storm will turn and head northward, hopefully. The timing of Lee's pivotal northward uh, will determine to what degree it impacts or, or makes landfall along the east coast of or Canada sometime the next uh, second half of next week. Only four storms have made landfall at Category 5 hurricane levels in the United States history. Experts say the record warm waters fueled a process known as rapid intensification, where maximum sustained wind speeds increase by as much as 35 miles per hour within a day. So Lee could uh, wreak some havoc on the east coast of uh, the United States. We just hope it turns, and they suggest that it probably will turn away from the United States and out to sea. Well, the Nasdaq fell for the fourth straight session as Apple stock, its biggest component, came under major pressure. Apple's been lost about $200 billion in market value over the past two days since Bloomberg reported that the Chinese government <clears throat> was going to widen its ban on using iPhones. <clears throat> Any threat to Apple's business in China is going to worry investors. It's the company's biggest international market and a production hub for Apple. So, again, it's taken quite a hit, $200 billion, a lot of money. Well, House Oversight uh, Chairman James Comer said he can make a good argument that President Joe Biden is the ringleader in the alleged crimes committed by his family and are being investigated by his panel. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and it's getting closer and closer to Joe every day, Comer said. I can make the argument that there's already enough evidence to point to Joe being the ringleader of this, not so just knowing, but also not just lying about it, but being the ringleader of the operation. Last month, Comer accused Biden of abusing his power as vice president by allowing his son to travel aboard Air Force Two to help score foreign business deals and has demanded the National Archives turn over all flight records for such trips. I said RICO in an interview about three weeks uh, before the, they used RICO against Trump, Comer uh, said in an interview, referring to the uh, federal racketeer influenced and corruption organization laws that provide for extended criminal penalties for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal investigation. And I think they've all, they realize that it's organized crime. The evidence points to it being organized. And look, you know, you could easily say Hunter Biden was involved in a RICO deal, Comer continued. The RICO Act is one of the many charges under which former President Donald Trump and 18 of his allies are being charged in Fulton County, Georgia, for alleged engaging in a broad conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election results in the state. And by the way, the evidence is coming out, more and more evidence to show that 
Hey, the Georgia election results were very tainted. There's a lot of corruption going on. The coordination between the Biden shady business schemes and the government, everything was organized, Comer said. It's very organized criminal activity, and it's what RICO is all about. <clears throat> on Wednesday, Comer requested deeper access to records in the Biden family probe held by the National Archives, while pointedly warning the American Historical Agency is threatening to withhold some evidence as, quote-unquote, uh, personal. Well, talking about a miscarriage of justice, a jury on Thursday convicted former Trump advisor Peter Navarro of contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with a subpoena from the January 6th committee to testify and provide documents. Navarro faced two misdemeanor counts, each of which carry a maximum of one year in prison, an Associated Press reported. Each count could further create a $100,000 fine. The former Trump advisors publicly argued that Trump personally directed him not to cooperate with the committee, citing executive privilege. Uh, D.C. Federal Judge Court uh, Judge Amit Mehta however, refused to permit Navarro to make the argument in court. During the Trump administration, he served as a director of Office of Trade Manufacturing Policy and as briefly as the director of the National Trade Council. He is, uh, in, is the close uh, second Trump aide to be convicted of such charges after former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon was convicted on two counts of that last year. Bannon has thus far stayed out of prison and is appealing his conviction Again, just a terrible miscarriage of justice. So many people have not honored the request <clears throat> for our <clears throat> former uh, attorneys general under Biden, you name it, uh, have not responded to uh, these requests and end up uh, just walking. Nothing is done about it. So they're using this justice system to hurt uh, associates of Trump. And further, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, District Attorney Fanny. I think it's funny, but I call her Fanny Willis. A Democrat has authorized a strongly worded nine-page letter in response to a request from House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio. Jordan has asked for all documents related to his, her prosecution of former President Donald Trump and 18 other charges, others on charges related to election interference. In her letter, Willis accuses Jordan of violating constitutional principles by attempting to obstruct and interfere with her office's prosecution. She also suggests that Jordan purchase a book on racketeering prosecution, although as a non-attorney price. Furthermore, Willis characterizes her response as voluntary, citing settled constitutional law that allows her to disregard Jordan's unwarranted and unlawful intrusion. So let's see if she gets away with that. <clears throat> By the way, uh, Trump is uh, forming some fundraising in order to support these 18 others that have been charged in this conspiracy. Uh, it's just so unfortunate, the lawfare, the uh, use of weaponization of the judicial process against Trump and his allies. So unfortunate. Well, uh, the U.S. Open semifinal between Coco Gauff, and by the way, if you haven't seen her play, this young lady is just magnificent, and Karolina Makova was delayed earlier in the second set because of a disruption by environmental activists in the Arthur Ashe Stadium. That happened uh, last night. Gauff was ahead 6-4 to and 1-0 in the second set when uh, play was halted for at least 40 minutes. Tournament referee Jake Garner came out onto the court 
while security headed uh, toward where the pro- protesters were. They were wearing shirts that read, End Fossil Fuels. <laughs> what bozos. At least one person glued uh, their feet to the ground, making it harder to be removed, a spokesman for the U.S. Tennis Association said. Should have just left them there, glued to the ground. <laughs> Let them figure it out. Turn off the lights in any event. Uh, and get rid of foster, uh, fossil fuels. Well, fossil fuels exist whether you mine them and uh, bring them uh, up for use or not. So, uh, so, so ill-informed, these people. <clears throat> By the way, the anti-trafficking, child trafficking drama Sound of Freedom is breaking geographical boundaries just as effectively as it assails the box office with Angel Studios' production now dominating in 18 Latin American countries. The Jim Cavazell-led film deals with the horrors of human trafficking and the universal theme has attracted nearly 2 million viewers from Mexico City to Caracas and more during the opening weekend. Sound of Freedom has already announced distribution plans in foreign countries outside of Latin America with those that has already arrived in the uh, showing huge promise. The movie became the number one film in New Zealand on opening weekend and is the number two spot in Australia after it opened in both countries on August the 24th. Just amazing results. I bring this up uh, because, again, if you haven't seen The Sound of Freedom, I just strongly encourage you to to, uh, watch the film. It is just absolutely terrific. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Mm-hmm. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Please tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. Uh, We're a nonprofit law firm and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. And I believe it's PacificLegal.org, if I'm not mistaken. Pacific Legal is the, uh, uh, .org is the website. So, William, uh, we st- brought up the topic of congressional appropriations, and there seems to be a kind of internal battling uh, going on between the House and the Senate and also in the, within the Republican Party. Maybe you give us an update. Indeed. So we, we do have an internecine conflict in the GOP, in the congressional GOP. Um, so just to set the table, we've got uh, the House getting back into session uh, this coming Tuesday. That gives them 11 legislative days to pass an appropriations package um, or spending bill that's uh, before nine, uh, September 30th, at which point a government shutdown would occur if such a bill is not passed. Um they're not operating in a vacuum. Uh, that is to say that the debt limit or the debt ceiling uh, limit deal that was reached earlier this year did speak to spending levels. Um, and it set a baseline uh, for 2024 spending of $1.57 trillion um, with a T. Um, and what we have, and here's the scorecard, in the Senate, we have the uh, the GOP is in agreement that we've got a, uh, with the Democrats, the bipartisan agreement that they want to go about $50 billion over the debt ceiling limit deal. Um, now, most of that they want to achieve by, by about $40 billion worth in a supplemental spending package that would basically just ignore the debt, limit, uh, the, the debt deal outright. Um, so Senate, $50 billion over. We've got a bipartisan agreement on that, alas. In the House, they're coming in at about $60 billion under that $1.57 trillion um, deal that was wrought the debt ceiling uh, limit bill. Uh, uh, so, you know, effectively $50 billion over in the Senate, $60 billion under in the House. Um, how this will play out is really anyone's guess. Mm. Um, we've got the, both dug in their heels. 
we've got potentially multiple legislative vehicles. I mean, that is to say they're working on the appropriations bill. It's likely that they'll pass a continuing resolution. That is to say, a, a stopgap measure to give them more time to negotiate uh, so as to avert a government shutdown on September 30th. Um, and at the same time, we've got this Senate uh, desire to pass a supplemental package, you know, about $40 billion worth of spending. But again, it's completely outside the framework of that <clears throat> debt, limit ceiling, uh, debt ceiling limit deal. So uh, I am loath to prognosticate. Um, I will say, uh, I guess my, uh, my politics are going to lean towards where the House is coming from. You know, mm-hmm. having surpassed a $31.4 trillion national debt, um, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, time to get serious about our spending, time to uh, uh, get serious about reining it in and being responsible, fiscally responsible. So I'm sympathetic to what the House is doing, um, but I'm loath to guess how this will play out. I mean, we'll have, as, as these legislative days play out, we'll get more information and we'll have subsequent updates. But at this point, it is, uh, they both are playing a bit of brinksmanship. Yeah, well, of course, if you're using inductive reasoning and just look at the past and what's happened, uh, the Republicans will probably cave. We hope not. Uh, right now, the Freedom Caucus is uh, digging in their heels with regard to Kevin McCarthy. The question is, is he going to survive as Speaker of the House through this entire process? Look, I, uh, I echo 100% what you just said, and I'll, I'll note this. The Freedom Caucus bargained in exchange for voting for Speaker McCarthy for uh, Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker, um, they made him uh, implement a rule change that allowed what is known as a motion to vacate. But it, it, in essence, allows any member of the House to put forward on the floor, the House floor, a motion that, if a majority of the House voted for it, would uh, uh, would deny, uh, would basically take the speakership away from Kevin McCarthy. My point here is that they wielded this threat in the past. I mean, you are correct that. In normal course, the Republicans do cave on these sorts of issues. However, in the debt ceiling deal, or that that debt ceiling negotiation that McCarthy had with Biden earlier this year, the GOP did come out on top. And and a major factor in them coming out on top was the Freedom Caucus's ability to to leverage this threat of the motion to vacate for Speaker McCarthy, to hold his feet to the fire in order to ensure that he wrought a good deal with President Biden. Um, on that debt ceiling limit. So that was a long-winded way of saying um, I'm hopeful that the Freedom Caucus and sort of their oversight, if you will, of Speaker McCarthy's actions um, will result in in a a, a more favorable outcome than otherwise would be the case. Well, we certainly hope so. Now, in a a different issue, of course, uh, the uh, adjudication of what's happening with uh, the uh, Biden family Crimes family. Uh, in fact, uh, Comer came out and suggested that uh, actually the Biden, Joe Biden himself, was the ringleader of this entire operation. But uh, he's apparently made an appeal to the National Archives to produce some unredacted emails. Uh, any comments? Well, indeed. So this is his latest request from uh, Representative James Comer. And again, he's the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Um, so he certainly has jurisdiction in this affair. Um, but he is seeking, you know, we've already talked on prior Fridays about how he's seeking uh, Joe Biden's emails when he used one of three aliases. Um, this week, he, it's a new request asking specifically for all business dealings in a specific time period. And as evidence of the sort of email he wants from the archives, he's got a very damning email thread whereby uh, in 2015, 
uh, the Hunter Biden and his the, the, the Burisma type, uh, you know, foreign associates actually sent talking points to the president. I mean, exercise some sort of uh, uh, participation um, in the crafting of talking points to the then Vice President Biden. I mean, it was it's very alarming stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, that email that he already has in his possession alone um, raises, certainly raises eyebrows. It makes one wonder, and this is a point that was raised by Andrew McCarthy at National Review Online. Um, you know, if these, if, if Comer has this document, and these sorts of documents have been in the government's possession since 2015, what, what? On Earth, has uh, uh, Daniel Weiss been doing? It, it, the, the counsel who's been the, the prosecutor who's been investigating Hunter Biden. I mean, why has he not made any effort whatsoever to access these sorts of documents that, um, again, do uh, seemingly implicate his interminable investigation? Yeah. Um, so the. Quite a revelation coming out of Congress uh, with respect to this Como request. Absolutely, I just no more evidence of miscarriage of justice. Uh, we've got to get this fixed again. William Yateman, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation, the website is pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. All right, coming up, Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commit, but he's got some questions about the Inflation Reduction Act and its impact on seniors. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you about Sizzle Dining. It's a three-week promotional event running from yesterday through September the 27th. 
55 participating restaurants in Naples are all contributing by uh, making a great fixed price menu. You can so you can try different restaurants, and it's also donating a, lunch, uh, a dollar for each lunch and dinner purchase to Blessings in a Backpack of Southwest Florida to help uh, kids, insecure uh, kids in uh, on weekend meals. So I hope you'll uh, check out sizzledining.com. Sizzledining.com is the website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dean Clancy, Senior Policy Fellow at the Americans for Prosperity. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. We're a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to focus on fights that are winnable so we don't waste your time, and uh, we ask people to send comments into regulatory agencies and letters into Congress and that kind of thing to make an impact, and uh, all our stuff is on our website, AmericanCommitment.org. Thank you, Phil. So, uh you apparently just conducted a impact the uh, poll on the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act on seniors. The results are astounding. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, we uh, we anticipated that the White House was going to do a lot of hoopla around the one year anniversary of Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, you know, name the drugs that they're going to subject to price controls and act like they've done this great and wonderful thing for which seniors uh, are uh, grateful and, uh, you know, should vote for them and so forth. So we wanted to see uh, what older voters actually think about the bill after one year and uh, whether it's uh, kept any of the promises from the perspective of voters. And uh, the answer was no. Voters do not think that the Inflation Reduction Act reduced inflation. They don't think that uh, it made drugs more affordable. Uh, they don't think that they benefited from it. They think that it was for the benefit of politicians and uh, the cronies that got the various green energy giveaways and so forth. And when you ask them straight up, do you think the bill was a success or a failure? They think it was a failure. And so, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, conservatives and Republican candidates will not run away from this issue and change the subject when it comes up, which is mostly what they did in last year's election, but instead explain to people uh, what a bad bill it is and how bad it is for taxpayers and for seniors and uh, how uh, all of the various promises the Democrats made have not uh, come true with this bill. Uh, so appropriate. Well, what can we do about it? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think we have, I think we have an opportunity, as I said, uh, to go on offense against this bill. And uh, there, it, it was very cynical of them to take, you know, what what was the Build Back Better Act and was, you know, on the sort of brink of failing. And uh, they basically convinced Joe Manchin to vote for this by changing the name, not changing the bill. Right. And they said, oh, well, we're going to call it Inflation Reduction Act. Now we're doing something about inflation. And um, they weren't. And people know that uh, you know they're they're not paying lower consumer prices because of this bill. Uh, you know, we asked them have prices increased or decreased in the year since this passed. Eighty-five percent of older voters said prices have increased. And so you know, I think that the, the messages are are pretty simple and will really resonate. And what we're trying to do is, as I said, we're trying to get you know conservatives uh, and conservative groups, but more importantly, Republican candidates, to lean into this and to mock it and ridicule it and to see this as an opportunity. And, you know, people's prescription drug prices certainly have not gone down the way they were promised. Uh, people's, 
you know, the, but, but the, you know, the number one winning message out of this, Bob, and I, I think I've mentioned this before in previous polling that we've done on your show, but the number one winning, winning message is that the money that they save from imposing price controls on prescription drugs got spent on unrelated federal spending. It got given to solar companies and electric vehicle manufacturers and the other cronies in the bill. And, you know, whether people support price controls or not, and I hope they don't for all the reasons, uh, you know, that you're familiar with, uh, but whether they support price controls or not, nobody thinks it's right that the savings was taken out of Medicare and spent on unrelated spending. We got 86% in our poll who said that the money should have been used inside of Medicare, uh, the savings should have been kept inside of Medicare to benefit uh, seniors. Uh, 14% said they were okay with what Congress did. You know, that's, uh, that's about as overwhelming a message as you're ever going to see in the poll. And so that, I think, is the real opportunity anytime this bill comes up, uh, anytime it comes up, uh, really in any context. You ought to say, uh, you know, whatever you think about the Medicare price controls, uh, the idea that that $280 billion was taken out of Medicare and spent on green energy giveaways and other corrupt crony stuff in this bill, uh, it's indefensible. Really, no, nobody thinks that that was a good idea. You know, maybe 14% do, but, you know, 14% would probably tell you the sky isn't blue because there's always a few people who just go against, you know, you ask them something obvious and they don't want to play along. And so it's almost, it's about as close to unanimous as you're going to get on something like that. Yeah. And, you know, every <coughs> candidate who's running against anyone who voted for this bill ought to be talking about that feature of it, that they rated Medicare, used it as a piggy bank for unrelated spending in this bill and I just it's a huge winning message and it's a huge opportunity and it was mostly wasted last year maybe the bill was too freshly passed uh, you know for for it to be kind of politically resonant but I think this has got to be a a major topic going forward and we can't allow uh, the Democrats to score political points off a bill that was structured the way this one was and the the opportunity is there to, to push back on it yeah, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Medicare is in uh, severe financial trouble, so something's got to be able to correct it. So this administration uh, basically took money out of Medicare, the pool of money for, to support Medicare, uh, while it's in the process of going bankrupt and having fewer dollars to spend per senior uh, on Medicare benefits. Right, and, uh, you know, as I said, you know, I'm not sure it's a great idea to use government price controls to reduce prescription drug spending, it's almost certainly not, in that we're going to get a lot fewer drugs developed as a consequence of that. But, you know, that's kind of a little bit of a hard debate, because you've got to explain to people why price controls are bad and everything. Everyone agrees that if you can reduce prescription drug spending by that amount, the money should have been kept in Medicare, which is not what they did. I mean, that's an almost universal agreement issue. And so, as I said, that's a big political opportunity. Indeed. Again, Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. So, Phil, what would you like each of us to do about this? Well, um, you know, this one's a little bit trickier because this is not, uh, you know, we got a letter to Congress, although, you know, we do have one if people want to send a letter to Congress about AARP's advocacy on this bill and how they betrayed seniors. We do have that on our website at AmericanCommitment.org. If you click on Commitment to Seniors, you can see that. But I really think this is just about, um, you know, in, when you're com- when conversations come up about this bill, being ready to push back with that message and make sure that people understand that that's sort of fundamentally what this bill did, and it you know it, it uh, really 
uh, in particular, you know, urge any Republican candidates that you know for office to talk about this and go on offense against it and, and to, you know, see this as the opportunity it is because uh, Republicans are way too hesitant to ever talk about anything health care related. They just think, oh, health care, it's a Democrat thing. I'm going to switch the topic to something else. And uh, that's why Democrats always win on health care, even though the bills that they pass are so bad. Yeah. Oh. Bill Kerpin, again, president of American Commitment. I hope you visit the website, AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. My pleasure. Have a good one, Bob. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dean Clancy. He is a senior policy fellow with Americans for Prosperity. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many, many books. Right now we have with us Dean Clancy. He is a senior policy fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Dean. Tell us about Americans for Prosperity. 
AFP is a national grassroots advocacy organization. We have thousands of volunteers uh, all across the country, paid staff in 37 states. We work in Washington and state capitals uh, to improve American life. Uh, We want to reignite the American dream, uh, remove uh, barriers between you and happiness. And um, we do that by engaging in education and political activity. We knock on doors, we conduct polls, we endorse candidates and uh, contribute to candidates. And all of that is for the purpose, as I say, of helping to reignite the American dream. Terrific organizations, Americans for Prosperity. The website is americansforprosperity.org. That's right. Okay, well, thank you, Dean. So uh, you now are uh, promoting the whole idea of having Medicare uh, payments for for, uh, medicine, I should say, uh, site-neutral payments for Medicare. Maybe you could tell us about it. Sure. This is an issue a lot of Americans have never heard of, but it affects their uh, pocketbook uh, significantly. It drives up the cost of health care. The problem is this. Medicare and a lot of private health insurance companies who tend to basically do whatever Medicare does uh, it is way overpaying uh, for health care in a very distorting way, and it's actually driving up the cost of care. Uh, we call it, uh, the reform we call site-neutral payment. Right now it's not neutral. Medicare is paying hospital-based doctors so, uh, sometimes two and three times the amount they're paying to independent community-based doctors for exactly the same item or service. And the effect of that is that uh, local hospital monopolies are being formed around the country because basically the hospitals buy up the local doctors' practices, turn the doctors into employees so that they can reap the sort of windfall profits from insurance. And the doctors don't change anything. They just slap the word hospital on the door, and suddenly they're getting paid two and three times as much. And this is basically creating local hospital monopolies. The Federal Trade Commission says that um, 90% of uh, local health markets in America are highly concentrated. There's not enough competition. And we know that when um, uh, a hospital buys a local doctor's practice, prices go up by 14% on average. And for some things like MRIs and chemotherapy, uh, the prices can double or triple, and it's simply because there's not enough competition. So there's a movement now, and it's across the board. It's not partisan, uh, a broad movement to try to just level this playing field, and that would save taxpayers money. It would also save money for patients because they usually have to pay a share of each item or service. So that's the issue of, you know, of Medicare site-neutral payment. If we get back to that, we can save money for taxpayers and seniors, and we can promote competition and bring down prices. Dean, that certainly helps us understand why we see so many uh, practices, medical practices, being bought up by hospitals. So that uh, is a financial incentive for sure. So well, what can we do to uh, level the playing field? How do we get site-neutral uh, pay, uh, sure. pay, payments? Yeah, there's a couple of things that need to be done, and these are uh, contained in uh, some good legislation uh, that has been introduced in Congress. Um, the first thing you do is you uh, lower the uh, 
reimbursements to whatever the uh, the independent community physician would be paid for the service. So you have one payment amount, and then you pay that amount to, it doesn't matter where the site of service was, where the care was delivered, that's what you pay. The result of that is that whoever is most efficient will get the most business, and that will drive down costs and improve quality. Second thing you should do is abolish what's called the inpatient-only services list. Medicare actually has a list of things that they say can only be delivered in a full-service inpatient hospital, hospital where you might spend many nights, uh, you know, there, as opposed to an ambulatory facility where you walk in and walk out the same day. And it turns out over time, Medicare has not kept up with technology, and they are requiring things to take place in a full-service hospital that don't need to be. It yeah. can be done in an outpatient facility or a doctor's office. And so they, they're sustaining high prices just with that. So abolish that list. Let technology and doctors figure out the best site of care. There's also something called transparent billing. Right now, a lot of these uh, physicians' practices that have been bought up by hospitals are billing Medicare as if it took place in a full-service hospital when it didn't. And uh, there's actually a bill moving in Congress right now to fix that problem, to force them to make clear when they file their claim exactly what kind of facility they are. Um, and I'll mention those bills. First of all, there's the CITE Act. It's uh, S-I-T-E in all capital letters, uh, introduced by Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. It would do all of the things I just said mm. to give a site-neutral payment and would save something like uh, between 200 and $500 billion, with a B, over five years for taxpayers and would probably save seniors and other insured people maybe $200 uh, billion over 10 years on their out-of-pocket costs. And then a second bill, which uh, is going to be unveiled as soon as uh, today in the House of Representatives. Uh, we don't have a name or bill number. Well, we do have a name. It's, it's called the Lower Cost more transparency act and it's been put together uh, by the leadership of the house of representatives and it contains that provision i mentioned about billing transparency the, the doctors have to actually make clear whether they really are a hospital or not and that would be the first step towards site neutral payment saving that money for taxpayers and seniors and weakening the grip of these local uh, health care monopolies so, uh, site the site bill S I T E bill uh, introduced by Braun uh, uh, was would be the bill in, in uh, the Senate that we want to promote and encourage our senators to vote for. And then in the House again, could you repeat the bill? Sure, the Lower Costs More Transparency Act. It doesn't have a bill number yet uh, because it, it's only going to be introduced in the next couple of days. Uh, but that site act by Senator Braun is S. Uh, one eight six nine. I really appreciate that. So this is something we could do about. We should contact our congressmen and senators and just encourage them to uh, pass these bills because it sounds like it's it's it, it's a no brainer. It's really uh, really yeah. correcting uh, problems that should be nonpartisan. So uh, Dan, Dean Clancy, a senior a policy fellow at the Americans for Prosperity, and the website is americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org. Dean, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure.
Thank you so much, Dean. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing the Blue Provence commercial just reminds me that they're participating in the Sizzle Dining three-week promotional event running to the 27th of uh, September. So I hope you'll go to sizzledining.com and also go to Blue Provence and enjoy a wonderful three-course fixed-price meal. We have with us uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries by Life by Design. It is a terrific read. I've en- enjoyed it so much. Uh, he also writes his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much. Uh, my pleasure, Professor. Your latest column, and this is so important in so many different ways. Zero net EV economic climate benefits and government admits it. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it, it covers a lot of different uh, aspects of the notion of electric vehicles. And first of all, you know, if you want an electric vehicle, fine. They're, they're kind of cool and and, uh, and so on. But, but don't believe all the advertising and, and really consider the implications of them because... You know, even the government now admits, if, if you if you look and try to register, that, and there's environmental assessment that goes to the Department of Transportation report, that 
that you know they have absolutely zero point zero 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 benefit to climate. So there's no there's no saving there, and and uh, you know they're heavily subsidized. They they cost uh, even even with subsidies, they they cost the auto manufacturers um, a lot of money to produce, and so they're going they're going into the whole as far as production costs. So they they pack those extra costs onto uh, to gasoline and automobiles, and of course then you know the Biden administration and Democrats want to push a lot more electric vehicles out and and, the, and they have a lot of problems that you know you have to you have to understand uh, you know, they they have they have recharging times that are long and it's not like going to a gas station now and taking five minutes to you know fill up your your tank and you may be waiting you know a substantial amount of time if if you can even find a recharging station you're going on a long trip and you're going about 270 miles, you're biting your fingernails when you get anywhere near that uh, destination and saying, like, yeah, I hope there's a, a supercharged recharging station where I, where I arrive. And then and you see that, you know, the line is, is you know, blocks along waiting. And probably the, the people, in, people whose cars are plugged into the recharges are in having a, a hamburger, you know, Somewhere and, and you know and you're waiting for them to finish eating so you can get your car in and and, and they're not efficient in the winter and and when it's cool temperatures and, and or even worse when the heater's on which oftentimes it is or in the summer when it's you know the cooling is on it knocks down your your efficiency and, and range substantially and and, and we're going to put all these going to put all these these things on the grid. Which which isn't designed for, you know, it can barely the, the energy power grids we have are, are just barely making it now. So we're gonna put all these tens or hundreds of thousands of new electric vehicles on on these ancient grids, and we're going to try to recharge them at night when the sun isn't shining and the even the wind isn't blowing. Um, you know, it's and then, and then we're gonna. We're going to buy the rare earth materials needed for the batteries from from China and Congo that use slave labor and, and child labor and and and, uh, and you say, well, gee, is it more efficient? It's green energy. It must be. You just plug it into a tree somewhere. Well, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, maybe it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, that the you know that 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 energy is going to. You know, with with uh, the demand for electricity and, and cutting back on and or, or killing fossil energy, the, the you know that electricity is going to cost more and more and more, and the and the nickel and other rare earths that go into the battery is going to cost much more. Yeah, the cost the nickels doubled over the last pack of six years, and and so the notion that there's some kind of free lunch, and then you look at who's buying them. You know, the most most EV Owners, they buy it as a second car because of, because of the range issues, and so they they keep their gasoline model for you know long trips, and and then half of the market for them right now, I think it's over half, is in California because of the you know tropical climate, uh, and, and and so they've got uh, a big a big part of the market is in is in California, or warm areas, and then you say well. 
what about you know the SUVs and larger cars people want? And and one of the ways ways they re, they improve the economy of EVs is they the more and more they're eliminating the spare tire and structurally they're they're not is as strong as as uh, designed to be as strong as as normal cars. So as and as they as they get larger and they're maybe as people want want the the space and so on, the, they they require bigger batteries mm-hmm. and 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 those batteries are going to wind up in landfills somewhere, and all this toxic you know this is, those rare earth materials are going to be in landfills and we're going to be really screwed. So I mean there's and, and then you so so and, and I concluded the article I said you know if you want to buy an EV that's that's fine you know. But you know, and, but if you if it's to virtue signal and shame your neighbor, they're helping you pay for it. So at least cut them some slack. <laughs> so well, the other thing, the committee of for to unleash our prosperity put put on a note that said that right now these cars aren't selling; they're just kind of stacking up in car dealerships. So that that's another thing. It looks like uh, they're not buying it in in, in uh, Indiana. So. Uh, yeah, that's a concern. I, I want to come back to the the initial premise of your of your article, which is there is zero benefit. I mean, here we're going through all these machinations and trying to change the uh, energy grid and trying to change the production of energy for what for for no benefit whatsoever. And this is costing the American people. It, well, it's helping to drive the whole the whole notion of uh, inflation. Uh, can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, let's just take you know, let's just take the issue of the batteries, for example. And I mentioned in I mentioned the article that you know the Tesla battery costs ten thousand dollars. You know the the trade in on electric vehicle. You know by the time you trade it in, it's it's probably in a second or third battery. So you've got a lot more money invested in it, and so so they're gonna they're gonna cost more in the market. And I think a lot of people better hang on to their gasoline cars if this is the case because they're going to they're have a better trade-in and, and so on. But I come back to this. This ties in with the total insanity. Of first, first they want to, you know, they're, they're trying desperately to make, and they have been for some time, make carbon dioxide a pollutant so they can, you know, so they can, uh, you know, push push the fossil fuels and. And and as we've talked so many times, carbon dioxide is plant food. Yeah, they, they tried to push this notion that you know, uh, you know, there's a consensus that the science is settled, and and um, and most most scientists think that the planet's on fire, and that's absolute nonsense. I wrote an article just recently on uh, sixteen hundred and nine uh, scientists around the world that said this is nonsense. Yeah. Including two Nobel laureates, and it would have been sixteen hundred and eight without me. <laughs> you know, and 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 but this is an organization called Clintel that that really is you know sees this you know this climate fraud, and these are multidisciplinary people. So there there is no consensus that a that climate's on fire, or b that carbon dioxide is is the big knob on the thermostat. You know, there's but. It's convenient to do this because it's an excuse to, to uh, you know, push for subsidies for wind and solar, and and even universities. You know, you can't get a you can't get a, a grant from NSF to study cl- climate unless it's to look for a dead polar bear somewhere, <laughs> yeah. because you know, you have the government controlling the 
you know, the you know the the golden money for you know, except we don't support it with gold anymore. Yeah, uh, the, you know the, the, the you know the, the, we have the government uh, promoting all this stuff for lots and lots of reasons and creating this 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 silly hysteria about climate. You know, if it if it rains or pours or the you know frogs lose their voice or whatever, it must be carbon dioxide and. And and people are, I think people are waking up. You know, I wrote my first book on this about 15 years ago, and then I was urged by the the, the you know, founder of the U.S. Weather Satellite Service and co-founder of the Weather Channel to write another book, and I did. But, you know, I've been writing about this stuff for a long time, and there was a time when I was a voice in the wilderness, and now I think half the public is waking up and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is, this is getting silly, you know. Well, Every time you have a heat wave, you know it must be climate and and so and so forth. Every time there's a you know a hurricane, gee, it's getting worse than it ever was before. And all those things are nonsense. All people have to do is look at look at the historical records, and they would know different. Absolutely, but it serves it serves the narrative. And uh, the 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 client, the scientists who are putting out this stuff are being dishonest. And and you know, we we knew that in ClimateGate years ago, when when it exposed their emails and showed how they were cooking the books and and so on. And but there's so much there's so much money behind this, Bob. Indeed. Uh, Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, I encourage you to read. Well, he's written so many good books on climate change. That would be a good uh, uh, scared witless. The prophets and prophets of climate doom is, I believe, is your latest book on. Uh, on uh, the climate. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In any event, press professor. And go to, go to uh, newsmax.com and check out uh, Professor Bell's column on point. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. That was always fun. Thank that, you. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll tune in again Monday. We have some great guests lined up for you. And I just genuinely express my appreciation for your listening to the show. Thank you so much. I hope you make it a great weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.